Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Hey there, my friend. It is so good to be back with you again today. You know, about 27 centuries ago, the prophet Isaiah made this bold claim. He said, You, O Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. I think Paul had something like that in mind when he penned his famous mountain peak promise of his own in Philippians 1.6 when he says, I am confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, my friend, this is a staggering verse. What an amazing promise. This verse is probably one of the crown jewels of the entire book of Philippians. I'm sure it's familiar to you. I'm sure you've heard it preached on dozens of times. You maybe even have it memorized. But the problem with famous verses like this is that they can easily become too familiar. And so we we forget the power. We lose the, the chill that runs down your spine when you first heard it. Today, I want to try to unwrap it again. I want to try to help you to hear it again as if for the first time. But before we do that, we need to ask the Lord to join us. Oh, Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that we're here with you, with this word, your word. Lord, we want to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would just get me out of the way so that we can hear your spirit speaking to us through the words on this page. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, as you remember, we've been going through the first few verses of Philippians, and we've been talking about Paul's attitude, his joy, his faith, his thanksgiving, just the enthusiasm. Last time, our last episode, we talked about his confidence. And we spoke about it in kind of a general way, but I wanted to make make it clear that Paul was not just confident in in general. He wasn't just an optimistic guy. He was confident about something very specific. In fact, in this verse, in 1.6, he says, I am confident of this. Now, my translation says of this, but in the original, there's a distinct phrase that Paul uses here that's very, pretty much unique to him, and hardly anyone else uses this phrase. It's autotuto, which means this very thing, or precisely this. It's like he's putting his finger on the desk and saying, this right here is what I am absolutely confident of. And what is it? What is this thing that he is so confident about? It's just this. He says, I am absolutely certain of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The great promise of God's work in our lives. So I want to try to unpack this verse again, and uh, there's several words here that I really want to dive into, and the first one is this word work, okay? It says that there's something that God started that he's going to finish, and that thing is a good work. What specifically are we talking about? Well, there's actually, if you read some commentaries, you'll see that there's kind of a debate about whether he's talking about God's work in the Philippians or the Philippians' work for God. 
there's arguments on both sides, and I'm not going to go into that in detail. But I'm a firm believer that if you really want to understand what a particular word means in the Bible, it's best to start by looking at how that author uses the word throughout the rest of his writings, or in the rest, in this case, in the rest of the book of Philippians. And as a matter of fact, he does use this word in uh, three or four places. So we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. The word labor is the same word, ergon, work. This will be fruitful work if I to stay alive. If I were to die, I'd go to go and be with Christ. But if I stay alive, it will mean fruitful work on your behalf. Then turn a page over again to chapter 2, verse 30. He's talking about his friend Epaphroditus, and he says, Honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. He's saying Epaphroditus was working for Christ, and he worked so hard that he almost died. We don't know the details of, of what happened there. But we just know that Epaphroditus was working for Christ on behalf of the Philippians. That's this word, work. But the the verse that I think helped me the most in really understanding what this word means and what Paul is getting at is chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. He uses the word twice in here. Actually, it's the verb form. Uh, in Philippians 1.6, it was a noun. This is the verbal form, but it's, it's the same idea. He says, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. He says, God is at work in me to will and to work for him. And so the question that we started with back in 1.6 about whether this was God's work in us or our work for God, the answer clearly is both. God is at work in me to make me the type of person who wants to work for him. And keep in mind that as Paul is talking about this word work, our work for God, he's talking about an intensity level that is a cut above. He's talking about fruitful labor as long as I live in this life. He's talking about Epaphroditus who is willing to die for the work of Christ. So there's an intensity in our work for him. But we must never make the mistake of thinking that this work for God is somehow gaining us credit with God. We're reminded of Ephesians 2, 9, uh, where it says, salvation is a gift of God, not by works, so that you can't boast. We're not to boast about our works. But here is why we are saved, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, friend, God has given us the great privilege of working for him, and that is his work in our life. And that, in fact, brings us right back to where we started in Philippians 1.6, the great promise of Philippians 1.6, that he who began the good work in you will finish it. So let's peel apart the rest of this verse that we haven't yet seen yet. There's two main verbs that I want to point out to you, the verb he began and the verb he will complete. First, he began it. He started the work. In Greek, it's anarchsomenos. 
He inaugurated something. He initiated something. So note, first of all, that Paul is not taking credit for what is going on in the Philippians' lives. I mean, we we spent the first eight episodes of this series studying and, and, and reading about Paul's efforts in Philippi to plant a church there. And yet he is not taking any credit for starting the good work in their lives. And furthermore, he's saying, it's not you Philippians. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't your decision. It wasn't something you did to earn favor with God. That's not what began this good work. What began the good work? Rather, who began the good work? It was God himself. It was his idea. Brother, this should be so reassuring to you when you realize that God is the one who started the work in your life. He is the one who looked for you, searched for you. He was the one who invited you to his party, who courted you, who sought you. He wanted you, and he started a good work in your life. Why did he do this? (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? In Deuteronomy 7-7, Moses is speaking to the Israelites, and he said, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples or... They're somehow special among the peoples. But, verse 8, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Friend, God sought you. That's why you're a believer. That's why you're listening to me right now, because God began a good work in you. Now, if you want a perfect illustration of this, look no farther than the story in Acts that we spent the first several weeks studying. In fact, I think Paul has that story in mind. I I actually believe that in these verses, Paul is reminiscing about the early days. He said, from the first day until now, you fellowshiped with me in the gospel. And, And God began a good work in you. I think that Paul is just thinking back and reminiscing fondly of those first few days in Philippi. And what happened on that first day. Do you remember? Go back with me to Acts 16, verse 14. It was the story of Lydia. You remember? Uh, She was one of those who was listening to him on that first day in Philippi. She was a, uh, a business lady from Thyatira who was a worshiper of the Lord. And at the end of verse 14, it says, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And then she and the members of her household were baptized, and she testified, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. Who started the work in Philippi? It said the Lord opened her heart to believe the message that Paul was speaking. It wasn't Paul's grand sermon. It wasn't Lydia's soft heart. No, it was God opening up her heart. That's what he did in your heart. My friend, you are not a Christian because you made some great decision to get on your knees and pray. If you are a child of God today, it is solely because God opened your heart and began a good work in you. And that is exciting because Paul says, based on the fact that I know he started this work in you, therefore he comes to this great promise. He will complete the work. Back in Philippians 1.6, he who started a work will carry it on to completion. The word Paul uses here in the Greek is epitalese. 
It means to finish something, to perfect something, to make sure that something is utterly complete. Paul is saying to his friends in Philippi, listen to me. God started the work, but he is not done yet. He is still working and he will complete it. Oh, brothers, that is such a thrilling promise to me because I can see on a daily basis how unfinished the work is in my life. I'm so aware of the flaws and the failures and the foibles. And you might be too. And the Philippians were too. And Paul said, God isn't finished. He is still working on you. This word epitalese, it doesn't mean that at the end of time, he's going to kind of finally stamp you with perfection. No, it, it's, it's a continuous word. It means that he's going to continually perfect you. One translator said he's going to continually add the finishing touches on you until you are perfect. That is exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's wonderful news because it means that God is going to take the responsibility to ensure that I get there. And that's wonderful because I know if it was up to me, I would never arrive. I would never complete this good work in me on my own. As a matter of fact, Paul makes that point himself very clearly in another verse. As it turns out, there's one other verse in the New Testament that uses these same two verbs, enarxomenos and epitalese, he who start and he who finishes, but it's in a completely different context. It's in Galatians chapter 3 when he is talking to the Galatians and telling them there were Christians who thought that they needed to add the law, the Torah, the Old Testament commandments in order to be saved. And they wanted to add these, these rules and laws to the, to the gospel, in effect. And Paul writes the entire book just to convince them that that is not God's way. And in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort or by the flesh? Let me read that one more time. Those two words, beginning and completion, are in there. After beginning with the Spirit, the Spirit began this good work in you, in other words, he's saying. Are you now trying to complete this work through your fleshly efforts, through your own human strength? He's saying that is foolishness. There is no way that we can finish this on our own. It has to be. The the Spirit of God started it, so it has to be the Spirit of God who will bring it to completion. And the reality is, my friend, that God is a completer. He is the one who, when he starts something, he will finish it. That's just his nature. It's his character. Now, I need to pause right here because I need to point out that this is a great promise, but it cuts both ways. You see, back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 3, there is another place, one other verse that I found that contains both of these verbs to begin and to end in one verse. And it's in 1 Samuel 3.12. And you'll remember this story. This is when Samuel was just a little boy, and this is when God first spoke to him, gave him his first prophecy, and it was not a happy one. He says, Uh, starting verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Verse 12, at that time, I will carry out against Eli 
everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. In the, the Greek version that Paul read, those two last words were verbs. It would be translated, what I begin, I will complete. So God is giving Samuel this prophetic declaration that he was going to judge Eli for all of the disobedience that he had allowed in his life and his family's life. And God says, what I start, I will complete. I will carry out the judgment. That's a terrifying verse. Because God is a completer. What he starts, he will complete. But Paul, Paul embraces this character of God. And he relishes it because he knows that because of God's character, when God begins a good work in us, he is absolutely committed to completing that good work. There's another allusion in the Old Testament that I think is really fitting here. It's the first time that the word complete is used in, in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Of course, chapter 1 is all about how God created the world. And then chapter 2 opens when the world is brand new. The entire universe is just glistening in its early glory. In verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And then what happens? Verse 2, by the seventh day, God finished the work. There's our word. He completed the work he had been doing. The work, the good work, the work that he'd been saying all along is good. It's good. It's good. And then at the very end of chapter 1, he says, it is very good. And then he had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God worked until it was finished, until it was very good, and then he rested. I think that this verse is just here to tell us that God will not rest until his work is finished. He is at work in you, and he will finish it, and it will be very good. C.S. Lewis um, has helped me in a lot of ways of understanding what this kind of work is that God is doing in our life. And he has a quote in Mere Christianity that I just want to read to you. He says, If we let him, God will make the feeblest and the filthy of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. Oh, my friend, God is at work in you. God began a good work, and he will carry it on to completion until it's perfect. Now, some of you may know that I have a Bible study at work where we're going through this same study on the book of Philippians. And this week on Wednesday, I did something a little bit different for our Bible study. I came in a little early to the conference room and I turned on the conference room TV and I brought up a, a video 
that I had seen before that is a really beautiful video. It's very old. It's a black and white video of a sculptor. He And he, he starts with this big blob, this egg-shaped blob of clay on a pedestal. It's, it's bigger than his head. And I turned off the sound and I just allowed this video to play during our entire Bible study so that the guys could just glance up once in a while and see this this video of this sculptor at work. And he starts by just plunging his thumbs right into the middle of this blob of clay and carving out two holes, which become very evident that they're eyes. And then he forms a nose. And, and within just a few moments, you can see that he is forming the face of a man. One of the guys in the Bible study said he was glancing up every once in a while and he saw, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a guy, it's a man, it's a face. But then just after a few minutes, he looked up and he did a double take because he was stunned that he could already recognize that the face was that of Lincoln. The sculptor was carving Abraham Lincoln. And 20 minutes later, as the man sculpted and carved this blob of clay, he had turned this clay into this most amazing, lifelike image of Abraham Lincoln. Just perfect. And at the end of the Bible study, I pointed to the video and I said, guys, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to play this video for you. One is because I'm just so stunned with the artistic craftsmanship of this old man who sculpted this perfect visage of Abraham Lincoln right before our eyes. But what strikes me is that he had no reference photos to go on. He clearly had something in his mind that he could see from the very beginning, and he was able to put what he saw in his mind into the clay, and he was able to bring Abraham Lincoln out of the clay. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 64, 8. You, O Lord, are our Father. You are the potter. We are the clay. We are the work of your hands. My friend, God is carving you today. He is shaping you. And what is he doing? He is sculpting the image of Jesus Christ in your soul. And he will not stop until he is finished. He might be gouging his thumbs in where it hurts, but he's doing that because he's taking away everything that does not resemble his son because he will settle for nothing less than perfection in your life. That's where he is aiming. And he's got the picture in his mind, the image of Christ himself in his mind as he's shaping your soul. Now, my friends, I know I realize that there are days when this is really hard for you to believe, when you are just so aware of your failures and your flaws that you can't even imagine a, a perfection on the other end of what God is doing. It's times like this that I, I wish, I honestly wish that I was sitting in a room with you right now because I wish I could just look across the table and look in your eyes and tell you, on the authority of the Apostle Paul and on the authority of the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write down these words, I am utterly confident that he who began a good work in you will not rest until he has brought it to perfection. Oh, he knows that you're not there yet. He knows your flaws better than you do, but he knows where he is taking you. 
and he will not stop until you have arrived flawless, blameless, perfect. That's what he's doing in you. That's his character. He will complete what he started. Lord God Almighty, we just humbly bow before you because of this staggering promise that you are doing something that we can't even imagine right now. We can't even envision the perfection that you are carving in us. Lord God Almighty, thank you. Thank you for this incredible privilege of knowing you, being chosen by you, that it was your idea from the very beginning, and you're going to take us to the very end. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart and transform your life until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.